Has anyone ever read some verses in the Bible and scratched your head and thought, I don't know what that means? Am I the only one? There are plenty of times that we look at different passages of Scripture and we may have to sit back and think about it for a little while, maybe consult some resources, say, God, I'm not, I'm not really sure what this means. There are some very complex, there are some very complicated passages in the Bible, and any serious student of God's Word would have to acknowledge, hey, there are some issues, I just don't understand that. But the verses that we're going to look at today are not complicated. There's not a single concept from the verses that we're going to study today that anybody in the room will say, I just don't understand what that means. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else. He wrote 13 different letters. And second on the list is the Apostle John. He wrote five different books in the Bible. The last book of the Bible, the Revelation, was written by John. And then, of course, the Gospel of John. And then these three skinny little books toward the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John wrote all of these, these books with different purposes. And this letter was written to both a, a group of Christians and non-Christians, a mixed audience, convincing people that Jesus really is the Messiah and that we can experience new life in Him. If you read with me, please, in verse 11, here's what John said. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, I told you. Not one single word in here, not a single concept is too difficult for us to understand. Let's look at what John said here. There are three main ideas that I want to try to cover. First, God wants you to know the truth. God is not some mysterious, aloof, a distant deity who is holding back some secrets saying, boy, are they going to be surprised when they learn the reality of this. As it relates to the most important issues of life, God reveals those. He shows those to us. He wants us to understand them. He doesn't want us to be surprised and say, God, we really don't know what you want from us, how you want us to live, what you want us to do. What are you saying? God says, I want you to know the truth. And verse 12 has a very important truth for us. The one who has the Son has life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We categorize people into all sorts of groupings. Maybe musicians and, and um, academics and athletes. and We start grouping people into all sorts of categories. These people are extroverts. These people are introverts. These people are into physical fitness. These people like to eat. You know, whatever they might be. But the only distinction that matters, listen to me, the only distinction that matters is those who know Christ and those who don't. And John said, not everybody knows Christ. 
He made this truth as plain as possible. He said, the one who has the Son has life. John did not say, the one who has Christian parents has life. He did not say, the one who attends church has life. He did not say, the one who reads the Bible has life. He did not say, the one who prays has life. He did not say, the one who gives money has life. He said, he who has the Son has life. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that comes by repenting of our sins and turning in faith to Jesus that one is made right with God. And John said for every single man, woman, college student, teenager, boy and girl, whoever has whispered a prayer of Jesus, I need you, please come save me. John says he has life, she has life, they have life. But when you turn the coin over, the truth is just as sobering. John said, no matter if you've attended church every Sunday of your life, no matter if you've been through confirmation, no matter if you've been baptized, no matter if you've been on mission trips, if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, you do not have life. You may have the appearances of life. Other people may think that you have life. You may think that you have life. But John said, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have life. And there's no hope for you beyond the grave. God wants you to know the truth. And the truth is, those who have the Son have life. And those who do not have the Son, regardless of their religion, do not have life. The second idea that I want you to see is that God wants you to have life. God's not saying, I hope that nobody discovers me. I hope that nobody stumbles upon this path. Look at what John wrote in verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. John said, look, the gates of heaven are swung wide open. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God has spread his arms wide to say, look, I will take the worst sinner in the gutter. I will take the religious person on the pew. I am accumulating a family for myself and everything necessary for life to be given has been done. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and then rose again on the third day, the book of what needs to be done for mankind to be saved was closed. Jesus cried out. You remember his final words. It is finished. Meaning nothing else needed to be added. God has given us eternal life and he every single day of every single week of every month of every year is seeking people, bringing them into his family, whoever will yield to him. God blessed me during my growing up years. I grew up in a fantastic neighborhood over in West Point because it wasn't just the street where I lived. The whole neighborhood was filled with boys and girls all of about the same age. And so we always had plenty of people to, to play with, and we just never got bored. We, we always had people to play with. And so after school, we would go to different people's yards and play some sort of game or sport or something like that. 
And then in the summertime, it was not unusual for us to hop on our bicycles and start riding through the neighborhood to see who else was awake. And then we would all just kind of accumulate together. If we could find a mom to make us some sandwiches for lunch, we would do that. If not, we would just find a dead animal on the gutter, roast it over a little fire. You would be surprised how good some of those things taste. And so we would then go back home when the sun started dipping behind. I mean, we would be out all day, and we never lacked for people to play with. Now, I'm making a confession. Some of the games that we played in our neighborhood, in those games, at best, I was average. But there were some games we played in our neighborhood in which I excelled. Spin the bottle? I was amazing at spin the bottle. And I loved when we played it, especially when we could convince a girl to play with us. And so if we didn't, we just stood there, you know, staring awkwardly at each other. And so that was one game that we played, but my best game was hide and seek. As a child, I did not have the muscles that I have now. And so I was very tiny. And I could hide in places where people would say, there's no way, there's no way anybody could be there, and that's where I would be. And so it wasn't unusual for the person who was it to give up and say, Gary, I can't find you, where are you? I'd say, I'm in this keyhole. And I would make my way out and then get back over to base. I loved playing hide and seek as long as I was one of the hiders. The hiders have the easy job. All the hiders have to do is go to a place where they do not think they will be found and remain still and quiet. That's all the hiders have to do. The seeker has the hard job. The seeker is the one who would have to go to the turnip seed yard and look through all of that fancy, elaborate landscaping they had to see if somebody was buried in there. The seeker is the one who would have to go to the Adam's yard and go into those storage sheds that they had in the back to see if anybody had gotten behind the tools or the, the shelves or something like that. The seeker is the one who would have to go to the Adam's yard, the McCary's yard, the Fields yard. They would have to go to the Smith's yard and climb up in the trees to see if anybody was hiding on the limbs. The seeker would have to go to the Armstrong's yard, the Harmon's yard, the Higginbotham's yard, the Lankford's yard, the Fowler's yard, the Burns yard. And the seeker's job was not done until every missing person was found. God is the seeker. God is the one who goes seeking. He goes looking for people who are lost. He goes looking for people who are hiding. God goes looking for people who are running from Him. God opens His arms to people who say, I don't want anything to do with you. And He says, but I want something to do with you. At the heart of every single believer must be an urgency to go. Because our God is a going God. He is a seeking God. He is a God who says, I want you to be a part of this family. God wants you to know the truth. God wants us to have life. And the third idea that I want you to see is God wants you to be sure. 
Verse 13 says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In fact, all the way through this book, if you start reading, you will see little sentences that John dropped in and said, this is how we know that we are in Him. This is how we know that we belong to Him. This is how we know that we are one of His. And the reason that John wrote that line is because there are lots of people who do not know. They're not convinced that they have life. They hope that they have life. They believe that they have life. They think that they have life. But they don't know it. God is not in some guessing game where he keeps us dangling and twisting, saying, oh God, I I hope I belong to you. I hope I belong to you. I hope that you'll take me home to heaven. John said, I wrote this book so that you will know when you close your eyes for the last time here and open them for the first time in eternity that you will be looking at Jesus face to face. The certainty, the assurance that the child of God has is crucial for getting through life. And John said, that's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book so that you would never put your head on the pillow at night wondering, Jesus, am I going home with you? He said, you can know. But not everybody does. There are lots of people who struggle with doubts. There are lots of people, it wouldn't surprise me if I'm not speaking to some now, who wonder, Jesus, do I really belong to you? I'm trying to be a good person. I really really want to go to heaven. Am I headed there? Let me share my story. I thought that I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. One evening near the end of our worship service, I was sitting nearer uh, on the row where I was. Our our family didn't always sit in the same spot. I know that plenty of you do. But we didn't always sit in exactly the same spot, but we typically sat somewhere close to the front because we knew that the riffraff is always in the back. (laughs) And so we always would get down close to the front And during the, toward the end of the message, I leaned over to my mom and whispered, I think I'm going down there tonight. And she said, all right. The pastor wrapped up his message and we were getting ready for the commitment song. We do one here. The piano player went back to the piano. The organist put her hair back on, went to the organ. (laughs) And then as soon as the music started playing... I didn't, I didn't even wait for us to start singing. As soon as the music started playing, I walked to the front and the pastor was here and here's what he did. Pretty awkward, isn't it? That's all he did. He didn't say a word to me. He didn't say anything to me. He just stuck his hand out. After what seemed like forever, I said, I love Jesus And I want everybody to know it. He said, Gary, that's great. Have a seat on the front row. And so I sat down on the front row. And then after the service, after we had finished singing, the pastor called me up to the front. And he said, now, folks, you all know Gary. 
He's come here and he's making his profession of faith tonight. I know you're going to want to come by and, and talk with him and, and you know, tell him you're proud of him. And that's exactly what happened. After the service, people kept coming by and patting me on the shoulder and hugging me. And most everybody, you know, if, you're, if I was facing this way, most people were coming by like this, shaking hands, but not Bob Fairer. Bob Fairer was one of my dad's very best friends. And instead of talking like this, he, I was facing this way, and he squatted right down next to me. Tears were just streaming out of his eyes. He was hugging my neck very tightly. And he just kept saying over and over, this is the most important decision you will ever make. Tears just pouring because of his relationship with my dad. He was saying, this is the most important decision you will ever make. I said, thank you. <laughs> the only problem was I had not made any decision. The next Sunday, they baptized me. But nothing was different. No one really had explained to me. I had done what I had seen everybody else do. I would walked to the front of the church building. I was put underneath the water. And so I thought, well, that means I am now right. I, I am I'm in right relationship with God. About a year later, when I was 12, I was reading my Bible one evening. I knew that Christians were supposed to read the Bible, and so I read it every day. Sometimes I would read a chapter in the morning and a chapter at night. And I had stayed up really late this evening for a 12-year-old. It was 6.30 or so before I went to bed. And so I turned off my light after reading that chapter, and as clearly as I have ever heard God say anything to me, He said, you are not a Christian. And I knew He was right. I don't know how, I don't know how to explain that to you, other than I knew that what God was saying to me was the truth. I didn't argue with him. So I turned the light on my nightstand back on and opened the drawer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say the word tracks? They're, we don't have any here, but they're little booklets that a person can use if they want to share their faith with other people, but they're not really sure what to say. It's just a little booklet that explains that Jesus died and how we can come to be in relationship with a risen Savior. And so every Sunday at church, I would pick up a few and would take them to school. If I was going to heaven, I wanted my friends to go to heaven. I would pass those little booklets out, especially to the good-looking girls. Baby, it's not going to be heaven without you. you got to read this book right here. And so we would work through that. And so I had those booklets. And that night in the privacy of my bedroom without another soul on the planet knowing what was happening, Jesus Christ saved me. But I made a terrible mistake. I didn't tell anybody. Now, I did not tell anybody because I was embarrassed to be known as a Christian. People already knew me as a Christian. They, they associated me with Christianity. I wasn't embarrassed to be known as a Christian, but I was embarrassed to go back and say, look, whatever was going on when I was 11, I, I did know that Jesus was speaking to me, but I, I just didn't know what I needed to do about it. 
but now I do. And I was embarrassed to go back in front of our church and be baptized again. Not because I didn't want to be known as a Christian. I, I was known as that. But I didn't want to go through that. And so I never really processed that. I never really talked about it with anybody. When I was 14 years old, I began experiencing doubts about whether or not I belonged to Jesus. The devil regularly said to me, you thought you became a Christian when you were 11. What makes you so sure you became one when you were 12? You lived a whole year thinking that you were. What makes you so sure that you're not just living thinking you are now? And for three years, 14, 15, and 16, I really wrestled with doubts, severe doubts. I know that I don't have a perfect memory of those three years. But my memory is that I went to bed almost every night praying, God, please don't let me die tonight. God, please don't let me die tonight. God, please don't let me die tonight. Because I did know what the Bible taught about heaven and hell, and I believed it. And I was not sure which direction I was going. God, please don't let me die tonight. I don't know what happened when I turned 17. I still had doubts from time to time, but not as consistently. And I graduated from high school, went to Mississippi State, and after my third year, after my junior year at Mississippi State, I was a BSU summer missionary. Southern Baptists have a tremendous program, which allows college students for free to go spend an entire summer doing missions somewhere in, in the world. And I was appointed to go to the Pacific Northwest, the states of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and did 10 weeks of revival services in 10 different cities. And we would load up and just, you know, our little team would go and we would do revivals and then move on to the next town. We were in Benton City, Washington. The girls from our team were staying inside the home with the pastor, his wife, and their daughters. They had put a motor home in his front yard, and that's where I was staying. The Saturday night before those revival services were to begin, the doubts that I experienced when I was 14, 15, and 16 came back even stronger. And I can remember tearing through my Bible, every piece of Christian literature that I had, saying, God, I can't keep doubting. I have to know that I belong to you. And I'm sure that I slept some that evening, but in little 10 or 15-minute spurts because I was just in emotional distress. The sun started rising, and so I knew that I had to get ready for services that day. And When I was in the shower in that motorhome, I said, God... If I really belong to you, I want five people to come forward during the commitment service, during the commitment time today. And I thought I was playing it safe because all throughout the summer, there had been tremendous response during the services. The church out of, churches out in the Northwest are not like churches here. Here we have a lot of people who don't want to be in church on Sunday mornings, but they drag themselves there because it's part of their routine. Out there, they are hungry. 
And so they, hey, we've got to be in church. And so all during the summer, I mean, tremendous response. And so I said, God, I'm not even asking you to do something big. Just five people is all I'm asking for. And so I went and preached the sermon. And during the commitment song, not one person came forward. I don't know. I don't have complete records. But it may have been the only service in those 10 weeks that no one came forward. And so I began thinking, well, that means I'm not saved. That means that I'm not a Christian. God, you didn't do it. So I guess I'm not a Christian. What am I going to do? Well, the churches in the Northwest are like ours in one way. After the service, we had to go to the fellowship hall to eat. And so they took us all down there and they called us up to the front. Said, Come on up here, Mississippi people. You get to be at the front of the line. We've got a surprise for you today. And then they pulled a little cover off fried chicken. They said, and they, the pastor, come on up. We know you like this. That's the state bird of Mississippi, you know, fried chicken. Ha, 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 slap. And so the last thing on the planet that I wanted to do was to be around people. I wanted to go back to that pastor's home and bury my face in the pillow and say, God, please help me. I ate my food as quickly as I could and I walked the two blocks back to the pastor's home. Went inside, used his landline phone to call our pastor back in West Point. His wife picked up the phone and I said, Miss Linda, I need to talk to Brother Paul right now. I don't even know how she understood what I was saying. I was crying so hard. She said, Gary, are you okay? I said, I need to talk to Brother Paul right now. I heard her put the phone on the counter and say, Paul, it's Gary. He's really upset. And he picked up the phone and I went through what I just have told you. And he said, Gary, go back to the night that you were 12 years old. Did you place your faith in Jesus that night? Did you, did you know that you were a sinner whose only hope was Jesus? Did you surrender your life to him? Did you say, Jesus, I want you to save me and I want to give you my life? Are you trusting him now? Are you relying on him to get you to heaven? And I said yes to all that, but I don't know if I did it right. He said, it doesn't matter if you did it right. It matters if God keeps his promises. And he does. And since that Sunday afternoon. I'm not saying that I've never experienced a struggle period or doubts, but the devil lost the prison that he had me in that I had kept a secret for nine years and exposing my doubts to the light, talking about them with someone, enabled me to know I don't know how many years I'm going to live on this earth. But I'm telling you this with certainty. I'm going home to Jesus. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I don't hope that I have eternal life. 
I don't believe it. I don't think it. I know it. Because I have placed my faith in Jesus and He holds me tight. And John said, I want you to know that truth. I want you to be sure. Not to twist and wonder, do I really belong to Jesus? That's not God's plan for any one of His children. His plan is for us to know. Say, I told you there isn't anything in these verses that's too hard for us to understand. They're not complicated. But they are very important. There's no more important truth that any of us can hold on to than knowing we are right with Jesus. So I'm going to ask our musicians to get ready to leave us to lead us in a closing song of commitment. 